Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. We have more fun Bible stuff. <laughs> is that the right way to put it? it? This this stuff from Samuel is wonderful. So let us pray and get, get to it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the the coffee table, that thing, yes. I wonder what they called the coffee table before there was coffee. Oh well. well there, uh, there moving is that along, Seinfeld episode this, about coffee tables, a, a book of a book about coffee yeah, tables. Yeah, a book a about coffee. coffee yes. I, are you being live in my ear? This is live. Yes, in your ear. Oh, good, good. That's the voice in my head. A very pleasant voice. Yeah, and and you could make a coffee table out of it. it yeah, it was kind of neat. But I wonder. Coffee's fascinating. There's dispute about it. Oh, what am I talking about? Let's let's go to the readings. First Samuel, eight four four seven and following. But let's open up the whole chapter once again they've kind of abbreviated because it talks about Samuel at the very beginning of the chapter uh, it talks about the failures of Samuel this is about Samuel uh, not being all that and to me this is one of the wonderful things about the scriptures it doesn't paper over the, 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 the sins and the failings and the weaknesses of its great heroes in his old age, Samuel appointed his sons judges over Israel. That's not how it worked. The Lord appointed judges. That that a leader rose up when a leader was needed. You don't get the feeling that a judge... Uh, now remember, the word judge in, in, in Hebrew doesn't quite mean what we mean by judge. Judges were essentially military leaders. And they gave wise counsel and they administered justice. So the functions that we think of as belonging to a judge belonged to one of these leaders in Israel. Uh, however, uh, there was more to more to a judge than that. So um, these leaders were raised up by God. We've seen the story of Gideon, how Gideon was was almost an atheist, you know, if you read the, the book of Judges. And he um, he said, if God is so great, then why is all this happening? So judges were raised up. 
In his old age, Samuel appointed his sons judges over Israel. His firstborn was named Joel, and his second son was Abiah. His sons did not follow his example, but looked to their own gain, accepting bribes and perverting justice. You know, the saying is true. Things aren't like they used to be, but then again, they never were. These things have always been true, that, that we've seen Hophni and, Phineas, Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, they are not worthy to be priests, and here are two who are not worthy to be judges. So, the, the elders of Israel assembled and went to Samuel at Ramah, and said, Now that you are old, your sons do not follow your example, appoint a king over us, like all the nations to rule us. And I shared yesterday that this is the, the, the death knell of, of, of faith, no matter the faith. When you decide to conform to the society in which you live, instead of to shape the society in which you live, well... It's over in terms of, of what you believe, whether that is a secular belief or religious belief, that that uh, you walk by faith. And this is particularly true for Christians. And you look at, at the experience of, of Jews, that orthodoxy in our times, Jewish orthodoxy, you know, the, the guys with the the curls and the and the hats and the and the little strings coming out from underneath their their, their belts, all that stuff, they're flourishing. Uh, because they refuse to to give the world what it wants, or to give young people what they think the world wants. You know, I'm already off on a tangent. We'll get back to the readings in a minute. Um, the uh, the hootenanny mass, so-called, which has become the standard uh, kind of mass, uh, this kind of spontaneous uh, folksy gathering of of people. Um, it was done to invite young people to participate more fully in church. And at first it worked, but then it, it got kind of, well, when we try as a church to offer young people something that the world can offer them and something at which the world does a better job, we're just foolish. What do we have to offer young people today? We have a tradition of thousands of years. We have a moral code that makes sense. And we have hope that we claim even conquers death. You know, if we offer them light shows and, uh, and, um, and toe-tapping music, well, the world does a much better job at that. And most of us are firmly rooted sometime in the 1960s and 70s, as I'm always saying. And when we talk about new church music, we mean something that's 50 years old. And uh, it, it's, kids find it as boring as we found Gregorian chant. And the funny thing is that kids today, kids today, kids today really seem to be looking for tradition. They seem to want to be rooted in tradition. So I think we're really foolish if we think that by offering what the world already offers, we can bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ. We're making a big mistake. And this is exactly the mistake that, that uh, the elders of Israel made. We want uh, a king, just like the nations have. And what happened? Uh, Israel began to sink into idolatry, the worship of idols, and, and uh, uh, a kind of syncretism with the religions that they were told to root out of the land, uh, that, that 
that this was a very important piece of real estate, and God sent Israel into that piece of real estate in the scriptures, not simply to give them a home, but that they could purify the land. This land was important to him because it was going to be the land of the birth of his son in the world. So Israel was sent to purify the land, and they didn't do it. And then they wanted a king over them, and the king would involve them in foreign entanglements and and in in wars and the, the, makes a whole list and the lord says don't worry samuel you're not the one they're rejecting they're rejecting me um in our haste to uh, to be uh, to accommodate the world and the desires of the world um we are rejecting god I, I tell you this all the time, that Scripture is clear. Jesus says, whoever receives a little child in my name receives me. Or for my sake, you can translate it, I think, just as well, receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. And so we accommodated ourselves to the world. Uh, admittedly, we were the last church to give in on artificial birth control. Uh, but we gave in, not officially, but... I think that most of uh, much of my education was was as I've shared with you, uh, helping people to think their way around uh, the prohibition in the Catholic Church against artificial birth control. So we, the clergy, decided to accommodate ourselves to the world, and we made we made the fashion of the world king over us, and we did exactly what the Lord's saying here. Uh, Listen to whatever the people say. They're not. They're not uh, uh, rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. So, you know, people say, "God, where are you?" I say, "Well, you told me go away. I did." All right. So, he gives them a solemn warning. Say, "You really want a king? Well, this is what he's going to do. Uh, he will take your sons and put them in his army, and uh, uh, he will take your daughters and make them his servants. He will take the best of your." Fields, vineyards, and olives grow, olive groves, and he'll take he'll take your flocks, he'll take everything, and you'll become his slaves. On that day you will cry out because of the king whom you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. There you go. Those words apply just as just as uh, surely to us as 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 they did to the tribes of Israel. The people refused to listen to Samuel's warning and said, "No, we got to have a king." And the Lord said, "Listen to them. Appoint a king to rule over them." Samuel said to the people of Israel, return each one of you to your own city. Well, if, if God didn't want them to have a king, why did he then tell Samuel to give them a king? Because sometimes the Lord punishes us by giving us what we ask for. We read in the letter of St. James that we ask, but we do not ask rightly. We ask to spend it on our own pleasures. And, you know, the... the we don't ask the Lord for what is best for ourselves, and uh, the Lord sometimes uh, punishes us for our sins by giving us what we want, but what we think we want. So um, I think that's a very important thing to understand. Well, let's go to the gospel. Gospel is, as always, wonderful. All right, got to click here, go back here. All right, all these little buttons. Okay, this is Mark, the second chapter the first verse, and following. Now, yesterday we saw that Jesus couldn't go to the synagogue, and um, someone called in and mentioned that they had heard a sermon that he couldn't go to the synagogue because he had touched a leper. And that may well be true. 
Um, it's an interesting dimension that I was never taught in seminary, but it, it nonetheless, it, it does make sense. But I think the real reason he was cast out of the synagogue was because he was too popular. Um, you know, that we think that uh, when something is terribly popular, we can just forbid it. <laughs> Forbidden fruit is sweetest. Every parent knows that. The more you say to your kids you can't have it, the more they want it. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. People in power <laughs> often say, well, we forbid it. <laughs> oh, all right. Forbid all you want. <laughs> it's still going to happen. Uh, um, you have to reason with people, and sometimes people aren't reasonable. But to just forbid something, it might seem to work for a while. But it doesn't always work. All right. Well, let's let's get to the reading. Well, we know this story. Uh, he's he's at home. In other words, and it's very interesting. There's a church in Capernaum, which is built over the ruins of what seems to be uh, a very early Christian church, which in it in turn seems to be built over a, a, a house centering on a very special room which is plastered and it's graffitied uh, and it is the theory that this was where Jesus stayed when he was in Capernaum when he was staying at the house of Peter that this is kind of where he went to to just you know kick off his sandals and and uh, and and take a rest uh, well that's the theory that he he's in Capernaum at home well uh this may have been happening in the house of Peter or someone. I don't know where it was happening. I don't think the text is specific, but he's at home. And um, whether that refers to the town of Capernaum or a particular house, meh, who knows? Uh, I think it says, uh, you know, I should look it up. Once again, I've seen something shiny and I didn't look it up already. So I'm going to, because I think it, it is literally he was in the house, if I recall. I'll let you know in just a minute. Okay, okay, press button. Um, this is Mark 2.1. Uh, and now we've got to pull up the Greek part of it. Let's see here. Um, after a few days. Yeah, he was in the house. Not that he was simply home, but he was in, the, in a house. A specific house and so if you've ever been to the holy land this probably happened where you went to mass it's kind of neat because they have this church rather modern church built around the house and over the the house itself is a glass floor and um, you say mass and you're looking down into this room which reasonably Jesus actually stayed in there's a good chance that that this is good architect or good archaeology all right let's go back to the book or to the scriptures well uh, they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four, and they opened up the roof above him. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a traditional uh, roof, like uh, a red tile roof, or it could be a red tile roof, or it could just be a, a you know, a sod roof. It, it uh, and both kinds happened, I believe, but probably it was a tile roof. And if you look at a tile roof, at least the ones I've seen from inside, the old-fashioned ones. There's this kind of lattice work of sticks, and and it looks a little flimsy. And the uh, the the ceramic tiles, the ceramic, you know, those half half, they look like half of a pipe. They're just kind of laid on it. They're kind of hooked on it. So uh, it wouldn't be too hard to take off the tiles. Well, they made a hole in the roof. They lowered uh, the paralytic, and Jesus saw their faith. And he said to them, hey, "Child, your sins are forgiven." Now. The scribes, in other words, experts in the law, they're, they're saying, who can speak this way? He's blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Now, I maintain the Gospel of Mark 
is written from the common fund of of what was known that Jesus said and did. And it was written to show that Jesus was God. It starts off the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, some people leave that part about Son of God out, but it seems to be in the best manuscripts. And then the gospel of Mark ends with the centurion saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And, oh, by the way, he rose from the dead. And I've heard people say, well, he didn't, you know, this is an early gospel, and they tack that resurrection stuff on the end because, well, in other words, they're saying maybe it didn't happen. It happened. Uh, St. Paul writes earlier in this gospel, if he did not rise from the dead, we are still in our sins. So, and we're the sorriest of men. So, uh, the resurrection wasn't the only proof of the divinity of Christ, that it was scattered through his life. Now, uh, the center point of the gospel is when Jesus is walking on the water and he meant to pass by them. And to pass by seems to be a cliche for uh, um, uh, divinity. Uh, God passed by Moses on the mountain. Uh, he passed by the cave where Elijah was hiding. Uh, and uh, the book of Job says, were you to pass by me, I wouldn't know. So uh, this this is... I really do think the Gospel of Mark was written from the fund of what Jesus said and did to show that Jesus was divine. And um, this fits right in because they say, who but God alone can forgive sins? And he says, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, rise, pick up your man and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority. Now, some people read that and say the human beings have the authority to forgive sins on earth. Well, yeah, we believe that, that the clergy are given, through the ministry of the church, are given this, this authority. But Jesus is saying that he's the Son of Man. He's this, this divine being, as I mentioned from the book of Daniel. That, that, that you may know that the Son of Man, that I'm the Son of Man, I'm from heaven. He said to the paralytic, Rise up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now, what does forgive mean? The Greek word is, of course, afiemi, which means to let go. In When you go to confession, the particular forgiveness that you receive is called absolution, which means to wash away. Think about this. This guy was paralyzed. He was, he was a captive to his illness. He might as well have been tied down. Well, he was released from his physical illness. So, too, we're released from our slavery to sin. That's the goal. Slave, sin paralyzes us. And this, this story is saying more, even, than that Jesus is God. It's saying something about sinners like you and me, that our sins uh, keep us from being free. Our sins enslave us. Our sins tie us down just as surely as a paralyzed man is limited to his bed. So the the paralyzed man is released. He is forgiven his illness, just as we are forgiven our sins, that they're let go. And we are let go. We can walk free. I, I think that's a, an important dimension of this. Uh, it isn't just anybody here who's being forgiven sins, but this paralyzed man is being set free all right that said let us go to uh, a break 888-914-9149 let me say that again the phones are open at 888-914-9149 and uh, um, ask me anything you want about 
the Lord of the Faith Church, and the Big Book on the Coffee Table, the Bible. We'll be right back. Life could be a dream. Life could be a dream. Do, 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 shaboom. Life could be a dream. If I could take you up in paradise up above. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, just to make it more grim, I remember a friend writing saying, Yes, today's dreams are tomorrow's nightmares. Isn't that a cheerful? I'm just full of Teutonic joy here today. All right, let's go to letters. This is a letter from Michael, uh, who said uh, in yesterday's show, this was a few days ago, because, boy, I'm, I'm way behind in letters. Uh, you made a comment about the love for our children should be viewed as something that can never be paid back. That really struck me as a beautiful thing. And I was going to tell my wife about it last night, but I don't think I have the context or overall message right. Can you please revisit that? Yes, I can revisit that. Um, I actually have had people disagree with me strenuously. I get a lot out of my children. Well, you do. But that's not the, that's sometimes, that's not the deal. I, what I maintain is that Jesus wants to have us repent. And what does repent mean? It means to have a new understanding. That's literally what the word repent means. It doesn't mean change what you do, but it results in changing what you do because understanding precedes action. If I know the bridge is out, unless I'm a real fool, which sometimes I am, I'm not going to drive down that road. If I really believe the bridge is out, I'm not going there. So understanding precedes action. And the scripture tells us, for instance, in Philippians, the second chapter, have that mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus. See things the way God sees them. I learned this when I gave up smoking cigars when I was, oh, 26 or 27 years old. After my sister died of lung cancer, I thought I picked up a cigar after the funeral and I said, this is stupid. Put it down, never wanted to smoke again. Because for one moment, I allowed the Lord to show me something as it was. So repentance is to see something for what it is. And sin is to refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Okay, that's sort of a groundwork there. Well, the most important categories of our life all have to be redefined. Glory, that's the cross. Uh, uh, truth, truth is a person. Jesus is the truth. And love, well, we all know what love is. It's that warm, fuzzy feeling we get when we're with someone we like, especially if she's good looking in the spring. That's not love. When the Lord talks about love, he's talking about sacrifice. Greater love has no one but that he lay down his life for his friends. So we got to allow God to redefine us. Now, this is where the children come in. God gives us a few teachers of love. And two of the, the primary teachers are the poor and children. You know, uh, I, I shared the story that, that uh, when I was... Um, a pastor, and I had the privilege to be a pastor of a parish with a big soup kitchen and a big food pantry. And well-to-do people would, would knit, do things for the poor, such as knit a hat and gloves and bring them on. Uh, we had a, a gift distribution to the street people on uh, uh, Three Kings uh, every year. And um, people would come and bring some lovely thing. Uh, and... <laughs> I remember a poor person, a poor man who lived on the streets, getting a handmade 
hat and gloves, and he said, what the heck is this? He said a little more strongly than that. And the giver was just crestfallen after all the work she had put in knitting this stuff. Well, that wouldn't, <laughs> knitted gloves wouldn't stand up on the streets. And, and you know, so often, I will never forget, this is, this is another good one I, I shared with you, that, um, at confirmation time, since you got to do the project to get the sacrament, you got to earn. The, you got to earn the grace, which I think is heretical. But uh, the soup kitchen was a, an easy, easy uh, way to uh, do a project. You just rented a bus and brought the the churl, the churlish little children down to uh, to the soup kitchen. They stood around milling about on the stage, looking irritated, and then you signed the thing, and they went home and they'd done their project. And this nun came up to me, a rather progressive woman, and she looked at me and she said, Father, my children are not having a good experience of the poor. And I so wanted to say, Sister, I'll tell the poor to shape up. You know, if you expect to be thanked for your generosity to the poor, to the church, to anyone, it isn't generosity. You know, what is what do we read in the Gospel of St. Luke? That when you have done your duty, say, I am a, I am a, a, a useless servant. Uh, that, that's in the Gospel of Luke. Well, that's that's the poor. They're not. They're often not going to thank you the way you think you need to be thanked for all of your philanthropy. Um, and so many people, when they volunteer in church, they say the pastor didn't even thank me. Now, I I think it's a good thing for pastors to thank people. However, were you doing it for the pastor, or were you doing it for the Lord? Well, I should at least be thanked. You will be if you did it for the Lord. So, but what does this have to do with children? You are never going to get out of your children what you put into them. You are the cook. You are the bottle washer. You are the driver. You are the event planner. You are the financier. Name it. You're it. And then they go off to college. And they fall in love. And what are you, chopped liver? You should be so lucky. Oh, ma. She's wonderful. She's the, she's the most beautiful woman I've ever known. Some kid comes home having fallen in love with some person that he has met. And, of course, you meet the young lady. And uh, she has hair a color unknown to nature. And, uh, uh, well, this is my girlfriend. So nice to meet you, dear. Whatever. Well, and then, you know, man, your little princess goes off to college and falls in love and comes home and says, Oh, Daddy, he's wonderful. He doesn't have that many tattoos or body piercings. And you're thinking about an insanity defense. And, uh, you know, eventually your kids will probably tell you you were right. But, you know, that that children are something that, that, that they're, they're a real investment in the future. Remember that psalm? Oh, I'm talking long. I should conclude this. But that wonderful psalm, May your children be like olive plants around your table. Are you calling my kids potted plants? Well, you do. No, I'm kidding. No, but an olive tree doesn't bear any fruit at all until it's 15 or 16. And you don't get a crop out of it for 30 or 40 years. To plant an olive tree is an investment in the future. You may never live to see the fruit of it in this world. You do it for love, for sacrificial love. And... You know, that you're not going to, you know, I have a friend who said that uh, uh, the job of a parent is to say two things. When a child comes into the world, welcome. And when a child leaves to live their own life, 
the task is to say, uh, God bless you and and goodbye. It's welcome and goodbye. But 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 I don't. You know, it isn't always that way. And and you know, children have a duty to their parents. But you see, to raise children is 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 a very selfless thing. And that's why we don't have many children. We become a very selfish people. So with that thought, I hope that that's a little more sharing about that idea than I think I did when I said it. But we, God gives us two teachers of love, children and the poor, and you're never going to get out of either what you put into it. All right, that said, let's go to another letter. Okay, um, this letter is, uh, if I get find it's from Jacob. Uh, hello, Father Simon. In the Gospel of Luke, it says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months. Gabriel told Mary that Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Was Mary present for John's birth and possibly naming? Well, while the Gospel doesn't mention it, what does tradition say? You know, I don't think there is a tradition about that. I, I really don't know. I think visionaries might have mentioned it, but again, those are private revelations. But I, I wanted to especially to read this uh, because what we find in... Uh, um, the scriptures is what's necessary for our salvation and uh, the psalm says i have not pondered things too great for me so often we want to fill in the details of the scripture and we can speculate and i would i would think the blessed would have been there but we don't know one can do beautiful meditations on the scriptures uh the danger of it is to think that that's the way it happened um the movie or the series, The Chosen, I think in, in most of the episodes are, are truly wonderful. Um, but they're really meditations on the scripture. My only hesitation about The Chosen or any movie about about the life of Christ um, is that people will say, well, that's the way it was, uh, that Matthew uh, was, was autistic. Uh, it says so in the Bible. No, it doesn't. You saw it on TV. So I think that's why we need to take all of these things, even private revelations, with a great grain of salt. Uh, and we need to, to understand that to know the scriptures well is to know what God has given us for our salvation well. So I would not be at all surprised if our Blessed Mother uh, was there for the birth of John the Baptist. Um, but I don't know. The Lord hasn't told me. He hadn't told you. And we can ask. The day after the resurrection, we'll go down to our Blessed Mother's house. I imagine she's a great cook. All right, moving along. Let's see, what time? Uh, let's. Uh, we're going to open up the phone. We have opened up the phones. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will be right back. I'll meet you at church Sunday morning. And we'll all you down and pray. We'll pray. <laughs> I'll meet you in church on Sunday morning. Just make sure you stay six feet away as we pray. All right. I'm just being humorous. Well, maybe. All right. Let's go to the word of the day. At the end of today's gospel, when they see this guy pick up his mat straight away is the word euthus, which means right away. Um, they were all astounded. The word astounded is a fascinating word. It's existemi, which means to stand outside of yourself. 
And it can mean to be, uh, it literally means uh, beside oneself, but it can mean to be crazy. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, you know, that, that's one of the things it can mean. It can mean to be, to be crazy, to, uh, to, to go crazy. And, you know, it is interesting. Uh, uh, in the good old days, the early days of the, of the Pentecostal movement, uh, they thought we were crazy. And we were because the wonders of the Lord seemed to be everywhere. I will never forget. We would go out for, for pizza after the prayer meeting, which is kind of, I think it's in the Bible somewhere. Um, and we would drink Coke. Uh, this was a non-drinking crowd. And uh, people would wonder what we were drinking because we would just sit there laughing. Uh, there was such a joy in it. And, you know, I, I think that, I forget who it was. I know Cardinal George quoted him all the time, that joy is the infallible sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, in the discussions of the day, there's so little joy. Joy is the infallible sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in your conversations with people about about politics, about religion, about the situation in the world, the church, and the cosmos. Is there any laughing that's going on? Is there joy? It's, uh, you know, or, or, well, be realistic. Well, to behold the goodness of God is, well, to stand outside yourself, oh, to go just a little crazy. That's an interesting word. They were beside themselves in a good way. All right, let us go to phones. <coughs> Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? With the phones are open, you know, at 888-914-9149. Whom do we have? Jack from Austin, Texas. Are you with us, Jack? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? I can. What can I do for you? Uh, uh, well, incidentally, they talk about joy. Your, uh, your one-hour session uh, gives me a lot of joy, so God bless you. And, well, thank and you. Thank you. <laughs> at least it's one hour a day that I'm, I'm trying to respond to the Holy Ghost, but at any rate, the rest of the day I'm as glum as can be. Trust me, I'm German. What? I'm kidding. What can I do <laughs> okay, for so you? Okay, so I'm up off the same product that you are back in the 60s and so forth, uh, the, uh, mass on the coffee table and the like. Oh, yeah. I want to uh, know your, your opinion on on liberation theology and how it rose and fell and all that stuff. So why don't you try your luck on liberation theology? Oh, good grief. <laughs> you know, I lived in the era of liberation theology. I worked in the Hispanic community, um, read all the books. And, well, the basic idea was okay, but uh, it was, um, you know, I remember we used to mention the... Uh, the new morality. Remember the new morality? And someone once said, well, it was no different than the old morality. So you don't hear much about liberation theology these days. Uh, and I think that that's uh, telling. Uh, we, should, we should define it for people. It's a theology that emphasizes the liberation of the oppressed. And uh, it is very interested in socionomic economic analysis. Um, it was, uh, you know, the, the pushed by people like Gustavo Gutierrez, Leonardo Boff, uh, people like that. And uh, uh, the expression was used, uh, I think, by, by the Jesuits first, this idea of liberation theology. And it's a wonderful thing, you know, to, to uh, help the oppressed. But the problem was, 
that, uh, of course, um, it really lent itself to a Marxist worldview that, that, uh, uh, it's it, it so often when you thought of oppression, so often people thought of that in purely physical terms, and the great oppressor is sin. Now, talking about Pentecostalism and the Pentecostal movement, um, uh, this uh, is very interesting because uh, uh, I was, this would have been, oh, the mid-70s that I was, um, began my ministry in the Spanish-speaking world. And... Um, uh, when people became Pentecostalized, they stopped drinking, they stopped smoking, they stopped gambling, which, of course, really hurt a lot of parish fundraisers, uh, you know, the beer bashes and stuff. And they would be very critical of these things. And the, the, the pastors who were trying to keep the schools open, and they had bingo, which, of course, is religious types often look at as gambling and so on, uh, that they would they would be very upset about all this uh, 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 speaking ill of of what the things that they were doing to try to keep the schools open and uh but you know very interestingly um when people had a religious conversion and I, i'll be quite honest a lot of them went off to pentecostal churches if a person is an alcoholic in a latin community who is practicing who is gambling and who is practicing uh, uh, among the Puerto Ricans and Cubans and Dominicans in the lower classes, they would practice uh, a kind of witchcraft that was very expensive. You paid the spiritist a lot of money to get your lucky number sort of thing. The minute you had a conversion and you stopped drinking and you stopped smoking and you stopped gambling and you stopped going to witchcraft pr practitioners, you suddenly had more money and you stopped beating your wife, you stopped clobbering your children. Life got better. And, you know, the, the, so many of the clergy who were so opposed to, to that kind of religiosity that they saw as conservative or reactionary, uh, they spoke so much about liberation theology, but it was never about liberation from the sins that weigh us down. So that, that was a great awakening for me, that liberation, real liberation, begins with freedom from sin and not simply freedom from want, because freedom from sin ultimately produces freedom from want in most cases does is that a commentary that makes sense to you yeah that's really exciting that you brought that up because jp2 pope jp2 was a little down on liberation theology but he pointed out just what you did that it's not about a a group or a class struggle it's about an individual, he pointed out, acceptance of Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah. And so what you did is just pointed it at the Pentecostal conversion one-on-one, uh, -on -one, which uh, you just basically quoted uh, JP2. And, and yeah, well, uh, yeah, the liberation is uh, liberation. Same, same. So thank you. I remember he shaking his picture, he was shaking his finger at Leonardo Boff, one of the great practitioners of liberation theology. Yeah, class struggle, liberation theology is about struggle, but it's a struggle against sin. And uh, and for the conversion of the world. So, all right. Well, thanks for calling in. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Well, whom now do we have on the line? Oh, dear voice in my head. Christina from Rolling Meadows, Illinois. How are you doing, Christina? I'm doing great. Good. I'm Good. happy to hear you? you. Well, oh, I'm happy to talk. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, go on. <laughs> Um, so I have a couple of questions and a couple lines on the Apostles' Creed, if you can probably oh, sure. explain that a little bit. 
one, oh, one line is, he descended <laughs> into hell. So maybe oh, you yeah, can explain yeah. that one. And Piece then the cake, second yeah. one was, he rose again from the dead. So maybe you can, yes. I'm, I'm confused about the again part. No problem. We this these are both easy. Let's see here. Um I think <laughs> the voice might just have famous last words. Uh the 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 descended into hell verse in the scripture is in uh is in oh where is it? I thought it would be well, I think the voice in in my head um uh it was right. Okay, the first letter of St. Peter. Okay, okay. It is First uh, Peter four six uh, that 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 um, uh, that Jesus. We read in First Peter four six that Jesus went to preach the good tidings to those who to the souls who were in chains. Now hell does not mean what we mean by hell in the Apostles' Creed. The ancients believed in the underworld, which they called Hades, the world of the shades. It was where dead people lived this sort of shadowy existence that was gray and colorless and joyless. And that was called Hades. The place of eternal punishment in the in the Greco-Roman world was called Tartarus. Uh, so he descended into this underworld, Sheol in Hebrew, Hades in in uh, Greek. Uh, he didn't go to what we call hell, that place of eternal punishment. Uh, but the thing is, he went to bring good tidings to those people who had not been able to make covenant with God uh, in the period between, uh, um, I think it was, oh gosh, I'd have to read, it was between Noah, or between uh, Adam and the flood. So that's, he descended into hell. And the other question, he rose again from the dead. That's just a translation problem. Uh, um, That in Greek, resurrection is anastasis, which means to stand up. In other words, he stood again from the dead. And in Latin is resurrexit, which means, again, he rose, he surrexit, he stood up. He, he he raised himself again. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult to translate into English because uh, uh, when we say rose, uh, uh, for us it implies a one-time event, Jesus rising from the dead. Well, did he do it twice? No, he did it only once. When I say, well, this morning I rose again uh, from my bed, though it was with more difficulty because it's snowing. So... Uh, in that sense, he, he stood up again is literally what it means in, in, in the original text. Does that help a little? Yeah, it does. And uh, I just Good. wanted to mention that every time you talk about uh, IT, when you have problems with your computer, you crack me up yes, because yes. I work in IT. <laughs> oh, oh, I think you're funny. I, oh, you're an angel if you can figure those things out. Oh, I can talk a good game, but I can barely turn my computer on. It does the longest time. For, I still can't figure out how to do half the stuff on it, but, oh, old dogs, new well, tricks. I appreciate well, taking my question. <laughs> oh, thank you. We do what we can, and for me, turning a computer on is not one of those things. Thanks for calling in. God bless. Whom now do we have, dear voice in my head? Tammy from Treasure Island, Florida. Are you with us, Tammy? And what can I do for you? 
Hi, Father. I'm I'm with you, and I just want to tell you how much I learned from your show. So thank you so much. And well, I have you. a question. Um, I I was at mass today, and our father mentioned uh, the judge Deborah, but he really didn't explain yes. anything. And I was wondering how I've never I don't know anything about her. And my sister's name is Deborah, and she's struggling with her life a little. And I thought, well, maybe I should learn about. Deborah in the Bible and figure out maybe how that could help her. Well, sure. Deborah, Deborah was one of the heroic women in the scriptures, and, and she was one of the judges. Uh, she was a prophetess and the fourth judge. And uh, um, the story is, oh, I've got the hiccups now. <laughs> Computers make me, give me, give me the agita. So uh she was a, a a prophet and a judge in Israel, a married woman, and uh, the people of Israel had been oppressed by Jabin, the king of Canaan, and uh, uh, well, uh, um, the the uh, she prophesied that that uh, uh, the Lord would draw Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to the to the river Kishon, and and so uh, Deborah. Uh, lead I, that, did she lead the army? No, she said, uh, "Go this day the Lord has given." And you'll find it in Judges, the fourth chapter. Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. And so, uh, as she prophesied, uh, um, the battle was fought uh, and won uh, by Barak. Well, uh, Sisera comes to the tent of a woman named Jael, who is not a judge, and <laughs> she kills him. It's kind of a gory book but it's hey they don't cut any punches but deborah was was the fourth judge and she was a woman who uh was not to be daunted when 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 people said no nah, it'll never work uh so uh, she was persistent in her trusting god does that help does that explain who deborah was judges the yes, fourth chapter thank you father good well, yes, all right well good Sure. Well, and there's a beautiful, beautiful thing called the Song of Deborah in the, the fifth chapter of the book of Judges. Uh, and um, it's a, um, a song that she composed. So good. Well, thanks for calling in and thanks for listening. And take what I say with a grain of salt, please. Who do we have now, dear voice in my head? Wilma from Chippewa Falls. Are you with us, Wilma? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you for taking my call, Father Simon. Good, good. What can I do for you? I just have a question. I'm wondering, do the Jewish people still believe that the Savior will come from Bethlehem? Um, um, I don't know if they talk about Bethlehem. And you see, belief in a Messiah is not required for Jews. Orthodox Jews believe that a Messiah is coming. But uh, it isn't, you know, it's funny. Rabbi Lefkoe has told me uh, that uh, Judaism is not a theological religion. It's a religion of practice. You know, it's kosher law. It's that sort of thing. The theology is a lot more flexible in Judaism. Uh, for instance, you can be a perfectly good Jew and not believe in life after death. Most Jews that I know do, especially Orthodox Jews. Now, Reformed Jews, they're... The, that, that movement happened in the 19th century. It was an accommodation to the world. And it's a branch of Judaism that isn't really growing the way Orthodoxy is. But, because Orthodox tend to have <laughs> five kids in an Orthodox family, is a small family. Um, so, well, 
they would probably say yes. Now, I don't know if they conclus- if, if all of them believe that, but looking at the scriptures, they would probably say yes, because he's going to be a descendant of David. Some of them would say, well, no, that only applies to David, but um, uh, others might say that, no, it applies to the, the son of David, the Messiah. Does that help? That's probably what, yeah, what they believe. I think so. Um, I guess in the readings, it kind of says that the priest told Herod that a Savior would yes. come from Bethlehem. Yes. So that's why I was wondering yes. if they still believed it. So well, thank you. Some do, and the point is some, some would and some would not. You know, that, that, yeah. that, isn't, that, that isn't theologically necessary. So there you go. Okay. Say that again to your voice well, in my head. Thank you very much. Oh, God. Oh, there you go. Do you have any other questions? No, and thank you. Oh, there you go. I answered all your questions. My goodness. There is a letter or two that I really am so behind on letters. So let me, let me just look at this, this one letter to, to uh, make sure that I, I, I wanted to get it while it was still fresh. All right. Uh, I thought this was pretty funny that, um, uh, you know, I'm always ranting and raving about things, as you know. Uh, um, the, uh, the, this is a parody of, of, uh, uh, O Come All Ye Faithful, the Christmas hymn. Uh, this is, uh, from Jordan, Jordan from St. Paul, who says, we should rewrite it and say, Oh, come on, all ye faithful. In other words, uh, we maybe need to, uh, think about, uh, uh, oh, come on. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever heard that wonderful saying. I will share it with you. It's the, from a great American philosopher whose name I won't mention. One should keep an open mind, but it's quite another thing to let geese fly around in there. Well, so there you go. Come on. Give me a break. Okay, let me, there's one, that wasn't the letter I wanted to read, though, so let me go to that letter. All right, let's see here. All right, this is, again, about, uh, um, uh, the the what made me think of it was mentioning the beliefs of Judaism. Father, why do all statues and pictures of the Blessed Mother show her head is covered with a veil? Was she of the Jewish sect that are observant and still today have women cover their hair? At that time, all of the Jewish sects were observant. There was no Reformed Judaism. There were just Jews who weren't practicing kosher law. But in the ancient world in general, women covered their heads. For a woman to walk around without her head covered and to speak in public was was a sign that she was a woman of easy virtue. So uh, that that was the custom to to cover one's head. Uh, men would cover their heads when they pronounced a blessing, uh, and women just kept their heads covered. And uh, uh, a rabbi would not speak to any woman in the street lest people get the wrong idea. Women really were kind of sequestered. So, and I, I well, speaking of sequestered and an open mind, stay tuned because Drew's coming up and he's got a very open mind. No geese flying around in there to the best of my knowledge, though. <laughs> 